Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Now, a question that I have for you this morning is when was the last time that you said, wow? You know that, wow, kind of reaction. You see it often in the eyes of our children, right? When we, when we moved here from dry, arid Texas, and my daughter saw the flowers that were just everywhere, there were a lot of, We've been talking about these three essential prayers that Anne Lamott says are help, thanks, and wow. Help because we need it. Thanks because we can see how God has helped us, and wow, when we have no other words. And the reality is that for many of us, prayer can be a challenge. And there's no shame in that, that that it can be difficult to think, how do I pray, and what do I pray? Who are we praying to? These three simple prayers can be helpful tools to give us language, to gauge our reaction, to approach God. Lamont, talking about this prayer of wow, says, The temptation is that we might make everything in our world that we know and experience feel neat and tidy and explainable, but there are times when things are beyond words almost. We are almost speechless, and we say, wow. She'll give some examples. Gorgeous, amazing things come into our lives when we are paying attention. Mangoes, grandnieces, Bach, ponds. <laughs> notice, not necessarily all these things might be supernatural, but we notice around us sacred, beautiful, wonderful, and everyday life. Lamont would say, I think this is how we are to be in the world, present and in awe. And so that's how we pray, wow, present and in awe. Not so much about the words that we say, but the spirit that we have. Wow is a prayer of noticing. Kids are good at this. My daughter will come up to me and say, Daddy, look at this, and then do a thing that I don't know what I'm supposed to react to. And while a one-legged hop may not be as wow-inducing as we age, although I think at a certain point a one-legged hop becomes a pretty major wow, (laughs) still we are made to wonder, to see beauty in the world and be amazed at our God. Psalm 97 is a prayer of wow, and we will turn to it now. We'll read first verses 1 through 5. The Lord is king, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Here in this psalm, we find this poetic language, talking about the power of God, designed to take us before the very throne of God. It is a royal entrance. 
expressed to us in the language of nature. My wife connects to God particularly in nature. She says as a lover of efficiency out there in nature, there's nothing to improve upon. (laughs) So the psalmist uses nature to describe the power of God and God's power over all mountains melt. And now this language may sound like any hype song for any power, right? Wow, they're awesome. It's kind of like the introduction of a boxer or something before a fight. Fists like thunder. (laughs) Opponents shudder, you know. And our scholars have found that some of this language is actually borrowed directly from some of the things that would have been said at this time, perhaps about other gods that were worshipped, but also about kings as they would make an entrance into a city that they have captured. Some of this language, it's borrowed from what other people would say about people in power. But there's a difference that happens here in the Psalms. And any time in the scripture we find differences from the culture, we should pay attention And it happens here in verse 2. After the bit about clouds and thick darkness, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Now this is unique. This is not what we would see in anybody else's proclamation about power. This is not what we expect when we think about power. When we are in awe, we expect to be wowed by power. Mountains melting? Yeah, that's a wow. It was the way the world was back then. Who was the strongest, the meanest, the biggest? Still is today. Who has the most credentials or the influence, the finances, the reputation, or the followers? But what is unique is that the foundation for God, the defining characteristic, is not the power. God is powerful, yes, wow. But all that power is centered on a God who is right and a God that is just. A God that is good. A powerful God with a uniquely perfect and wonderful character. Wow. Even today, we can be quick to abandon our interest in character. As long as we get what we want. People throughout history have valued power, whatever it takes. And God is powerful. But God's power is characterized also by God's goodness. There's this famous section of the Chronicles of Narnia. Little Lucy is learning about Aslan, the symbol of Christ, the God figure in these novels. And Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So we say, wow. To the power of God, yes. But the real wow comes to the character that is underneath it. See, wow notices God's character and care. Let's continue in the text, verses 6 through 9. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all of the people behold his glory. Notice this character, this goodness, this righteousness is for all people, another distinctive of our God. Verse 7, all who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Zion, God's people, hear and rejoice. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are most high over all the earth. 
and you are exalted far above all the gods. Here we see language about idols, and we might want to just check out. <laughs> Sometimes as we read the scripture, we see this kind of language, we're like, I don't know what this has to do with me moving along. We don't worship statues today, so we think idolatry is not an issue for me. But idols, simply this idea that we might worship, build our lives around anything that's not God. And one writer explains it like this, that the Jewish understanding of idolatry is that idols are those things we look to for perhaps our own advancement. The things we look to that might elevate us, bring us security, and they always come at the expense of others. The writer continues that today, as Americans, with a deep love of our individualism, perhaps our most tempting idol is the idol of our own control. The psalmist is writing from the perspective of a people who have been trampled and hurt by others, who have looked to things like power and control and wealth. Those who have done that have taken advantage and they have been the ones who pay the expense. So this wow of power and character is good news for those who've been oppressed and pushed down and silenced and climbed over because God hears and acts because hope will come because in the end, God is ultimately powerful, yes. That even the biggest things we can imagine, mountains, melt. But also God is good. Wow. And for those who have exploited, have worried only about self and self-promotion, this is a warning. This thing that you look to will not last. It will not provide what you think you need. Wow, we pray, is the realization that the things that the world may value are not the ultimate value, that the ultimate power is the God of love who will set the world right, who will end exploitation, who has conquered death, who does love us. So we pray, wow. Wow, when we notice beauty and power and remember a God who is good. Because what else can we say? But I hear you already saying, okay, pastor, but does it matter? Does it make a difference? We've talked about this in this series of prayer, this idea that, that well, Lots of times people say they're praying so they don't have to do anything. <laughs> What's the point? And I thought about that a lot this week. I thought about that question. Does this prayer of noticing and saying wow make a difference? Why is it so helpful to notice and know this good and powerful God? Especially when we're maybe in the midst of a time when things aren't so good out there. And we wait for things to finally be right, but we realize we're not there yet. Why pray wow? And so I wanted to turn to one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, a prayer itself of wow that emerges. It happens in John chapter 1. Jesus, who John has just told us, is God among us. That Jesus shows us what God is like, so if you want to know what God is like, Jesus is the answer. And Jesus has just started doing his ministry. And that's where we enter the story today. He was beginning to teach and lead and do miracles, and he needed to get a group of people together to be with him and follow him and learn from him. And so we jump into John chapter 1 as he starts to call some of these people out. This is John 1, 
43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. So Philip goes to his friend Nathanael and says, we found the one we've been looking for. See, the people of Israel have been waiting for hundreds of years for God to send someone to rescue them and lead them. They've been waiting for their rescuer to show up. The whole Old Testament talks about this desire for God to do what God will do. That's what it means by the law and the prophets pointing to this moment that God would send someone to enter into our story and rescue us. And they've been waiting. Have you ever really waited for something? Like really waited. When I was nine years old, Star Wars Episode One came out. I was excited. I was nine, and I had read everything I could about the movie. I had printed out web pages and put them in a folder so I could have them. Wouldn't have to dial up. My mom and I won tickets to see it on opening night on the radio. I know. It was the first showing. It was at midnight. It was a school night, and it didn't matter because it was Star Wars. We got there early. I had my lightsaber with me. We stood in line. Philip and Nathaniel had been waiting. They've been waiting for God to show up, and maybe you feel like you're waiting too. See, they've lived in this country where Roman soldiers have moved in and taken over, and life was hard. They'd grown up hearing stories of God. They knew how much God loved them. They knew that one day God would send a rescuer to lead them to a new kind of life, and they were wondering when. They had been singing psalms. They had sung Psalm 97. God is good and powerful, but they're waiting to see. Let's make a difference. Maybe they wondered, is God really real? Does God really care about me? Does this whole thing matter? Philip meets Jesus, and he says, this is who we've been waiting for. He tells his friend Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love the skeptical Nathaniel. I mean, Nazareth is in the middle of nowhere. Why would God use someone from there, the son of a carpenter, really? I love that Philip doesn't get into an argument with Nathaniel in this moment. He doesn't say, well, actually, Nazareth has really started to revitalize its downtown. Like, <laughs> he doesn't say, well, technically, okay, he grew up in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. So, like, on a technicality, no. He says, come and see. Just come and see. Come be present and in awe. That's what Jesus has been saying to his followers this whole time in John as he asked them to come and see them. He says, come see, follow me. Well, well, just come and see. See, because something about following Jesus, it's not just about knowledge and alone or knowing all the right things or being really fast at flipping through your Bible. It's about being present and in awe, it's about coming to Jesus as you are, your whole self, seeing Christ. So Nathaniel does, and what happens is fascinating. 47, when 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him. He said, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He says, here comes one who there is no falsehood. A good guy. And as you read this, you might have some questions. Nathanael has some questions. Let's read verses 48 through 50. Nathanael says, where did you get to know me? It's a good question. That word know, it's not just like know about me, but like know me. How do you know me? You know my character. You know who I am. How could you say that about me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, do you believe? Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than these. Nathaniel asks what we're thinking. Jesus, how do you know me? And you may be like, well, he's Jesus. I know, but Nathaniel doesn't know. He's like, how? How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under a fig tree. And then Nathaniel does a big wow. You're the son of God and you are king. That is a pretty big jump from what can come out of Nazareth. And for the longest time, I thought the story is so bizarre, so weird. I mean, I mean, what fig tree? There's no fig tree mentioned in the text. And why would that help him know him? I mean, it's a tree, right? What could lead him to move from being skeptical to know that Jesus is the Son of God and King? Well, see, I think it has to do with the importance of that tree. See, in those days, houses were fairly simple. You couldn't afford a bunch of rooms, so, so likely you were living with a bunch of people as well. Houses, they'd have families building on. And what was really common for families is right next to their home, they would plant a fig tree. Because fig trees, as they grow up, they have really lush, lush foliage. And I've got a picture of one here, and they would prune it up. So what it would do would create sort of a patio next to the home. The fig tree for the people of Israel was a symbol of peace. And, and what scholars tell us is that the people of Israel would often go under the fig tree. And that that would be the place that those serious about their faith would go and pray and study scripture. That this is where the, they would go to spend time with God. And so I imagine that that fig tree had significance for Nathaniel. Maybe he spent hours under that fig tree asking questions and hoping that God would show up in his life and for his people. Nathaniel prayed, and I imagined and wondered, God, are you even there? Are you listening? Does this matter? And in this moment when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, yes, I know you. I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you when you prayed. I saw you when you asked questions and when you wrestled with your faith. I saw you with your anger and your joy and your frustration. In every moment, I heard you and I saw you and I know you and your prayers don't float up to nowhere. I, Jesus, God in flesh, I see you and I love you and I'm with you. Wow. Jesus then says, you'll see even greater things than this. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet because he will. Jesus will do miracles and forgive people and heal people. Jesus will be arrested and beaten and killed 
And three days after he dies, he'll show back up alive. Not even death could stop him. Not our rejections, not our pasts, not our fears, not the bad things we do. Nothing will stop him from loving you because that's what God is like. His foundation is righteous and justice. Wow. So here's why this prayer matters to me. To me, who despite everything in my life that tells me otherwise, I believe these lies. And say, man, I'm just this scared, lonely kid from nowhere still that might be left behind. I can believe the lie that I might be abandoned or it doesn't matter. And the prayer of wow emerges. See, because the prayer of wow is not just us noticing God. The prayer of wow is a prayer we pray, pray when we realize that God notices us. So Psalm 97 is an expression of amazement and joy like Nathaniel's cry. It is good to celebrate. I love how one of my professors, Scott Hosey, says it when he wrote this. So perhaps we take Psalm 97 as kind of a best-case scenario poem, but it's also a reminder that at the end of God's cosmic day, we believe that the best-case scenarios will obtain for every person and every creature in God's new creation. We won't get there quickly or easily or simply. Even the very Son of God had to die a horrible death to put us on this trajectory. We don't get to the vision we see in Psalm 97 without noticing that planted squarely in the path that leads to the glory and the triumph and the victory is this symbol of Roman punishment, the cross. Yet this vision, Psalm 97, the mountains melt. This vision of the end, where there is the light of love and grace and justice that shines at the bright center of the universe. And if some days, many days, that light seems to be eclipsed by a thousand contrary events and circumstances, even so, as John reminds us in John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it, much less put it out. Wow. How might God wow you? Where has God wow you? Famous preacher Fred Craddock said he had this habit of what he called going marveling. We would just take time to slow down and try to appreciate things. Pray Wow. So I want to challenge you this week as the week goes to find some time in the busyness of back to school and all the things. Take a lunch hour. Take a moment in the morning. Take some time on a drive. And go marveling. Pray wow to God. A wow that, yes, is about God's power, but is more deeply about God's character. The God we meet in Jesus who sees you when you pray, who hears you and knows you and loves you and rescues you. And so as we close this morning, I want us to do an exercise together. We're going to pray a prayer of wow in silence together. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer, and I would just ask that you take a moment to be still. And I'll give you more instructions as we go. So take a moment of silence.
And while we sit here in this hall, notice that God notices you. As you see yourself sitting there, know that God is looking on to you with compassionate love. Lord Jesus, Son of God, thank you for your power and your beauty and your love. May we notice it. And things small and things big. God, and may you help us remember, help us notice that you notice us. May we believe what you say about us. May we give ourselves to you. And may we be transformed to be more like Christ. May we rest under your loving attention. And by the power of the Spirit, may we be transformed. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.